Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities, and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for December 8th, 2019. Koyo Kobosi here. So very, very glad you joined us. Every religion has their uh, holy days or religious, major religious holidays. Um, Christianity has Easter and Christmas. Uh, in Buddhism, uh, there are two major schools in Buddhism, Theravada and Mahayana. In the Theravada tradition, which uh, was prevalent in the Southeast Asian countries um, from, its, from Buddhism's birthplace in India, it spread south to uh, Burma, Sri Lanka, Laos, Cambodia, and so forth. Uh, uh, these are the were Theravada tradition, the way of the elders. They wanted to preserve uh, the Buddhist the monks wear saffron colored robes, shoulder exposed, one shoulder, and uh, the way that uh, the dress was in Gautama Buddha's time. The other direction uh, that Buddhism spread geographically was uh, to the north and to China, Korea, Japan, and uh, this is Mahayana Buddhism, and Maha means great, Yana means vehicle, so the great vehicle uh, in the sense that anybody it, uh, the path is open, uh, spiritual path, and 
Buddhist teachings are open to everyone. Uh, you don't have to become a monastic. So it's much more lay-oriented. In a way, sometimes I, I say that these northern and southern Mahayana, Theravada, is somewhat similar, <laughs> just to give the listener some idea uh, of these two major schools, is that in Christianity, it might correspond, a, you know, the northern school, the great vehicle to Protestantism, much more lay-oriented and so forth, whereas the southern school, Theravada, is more akin to uh, Catholicism, uh, where uh, priests are celibate, they don't marry, and uh, they're more uh, monastic traditions. Okay, uh, But in any case, the reason I'm talk, talking about this is the major religious holidays differ for the two schools, Mahayana and Theravada. In Theravada, Way of the Elders, uh, according to the uh, ancient calendar, the Buddha's birth, enlightenment day, and passing away day all occurred in the fifth full moon day of the fifth month. Um, and so uh, on that Sunday, uh, it's a major holiday that combines all three of those events and is celebrated. Whereas in the Mahayana tradition, according to a different calendar that they use, um, the equivalent dates for Buddha's birth is April 8th. Uh, Enlightenment Day or Bodhi Day is December 8th and Pali Nirvana Day when he passed away is February 15th. Um, so in the, in the Mahayana tradition, today, December 8th is Bodhi Day or Enlightenment Day. Called Bodhi Day because that was uh, Bodhi means wisdom and the uh, particular kind of tree that the uh, Buddha sat under uh, when he was enlightened came to be called the uh, Bodhi tree, tree of wisdom. That's where he attained his enlightenment experience and Buddhism began, proper began. The Dharma itself, you know, sometimes it's pointed out the truths that he realized are... are Universal and you know not uh, he did not found something uniquely Buddhistic uh, and it's interesting that the whole emphasis his whole emphasis was on the Dharma which which can be translated in a lot of different nuances but the law the way the truth okay the truth of life uh, and he. Uh, stress that and all the Buddhists of his day call themselves followers of the Dharma okay and in fact the um, the the, the uh, artistic representation of the Buddha Buddhism was uh, not uh, any, a statue okay or a depiction of 
the founder was the most central thing in, in a lot of uh, um, historians or philosophers or scholars of a religion. That's, they named a religion after the founder of the religion. So they, it's a Buddha or oh, Buddhism. Okay, followers of the Buddha. They stress the founder, whereas the Buddha himself, okay, emphasized the Dharma. Okay, that's the important thing. Okay, he's not to be revered as any kind of a divine being or anything like this. So this is a major distinction of Buddhism as a world religion. Okay. So December eighth, uh, he sat under the Bodhi tree. Yeah, I think it was. Um, they know the particular species, botanical species of that tree, but I can't remember now. It's I think it's type of a, a fig tree, maybe Indian uh, tree. Of course, India was a tropical kind of a climate. Uh, and as you know, the story is after. So many years, six years or so, searching, studying under all the teachers of the day, and so and going on, undergoing a lot of aesthetic practices. Uh, he came to his wit's end, and he didn't know what to do. So he sat under the tree. He said, "I'm not going to get up until I get satisfaction." And so sitting there for. But six nights, seven days, something like that. Okay, on the morning of the the morning, uh, December eighth, uh, he greeted the morning star very gently. Um, the content of his enlightenment experience was. What was it? Well, uh, that is a tremendous question. And in a sense, that's the essence of Buddhism and something that any individual truth seeker or somebody on a, their own spiritual journey has to keep paramount in their mind. What did the Buddha experience eh? on December 8th? Then, of course, we know after he experienced it, he said, gee, this is really the kind of message it is. I wonder if anybody would really be interested in it, human beings being what they are, kind of self-centered, <laughs> egotistic beings, huh? Uh, then he said, or he received the intuitive message from, from himself. Well, some people may benefit, so I'll share what I experienced. And he was walking and encountered the monks that he had uh, originally trained with for the prior so many years. They had traveled together and so forth. And when they saw him, they saw his face. They knew something significant had changed them. 
And so they all gathered around him, and he gave his first sermon uh, on the no, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. So these, these, these things we know, the before and the after of his li- in his life. What, what did he realize that when he sat there and had his so-called enlightenment experience? Huh? Google it. <laughs> or look what the scholars might say about it. Okay? And ponder it. Hold it close to oneself. Huh? Uh, because Buddha's enlightenment was his enlightenment, wasn't it? We could be inspired by his life and so forth, but you know, like like they say, finger pointing to the moon. Don't mistake the finger for the moon. Look where it's pointing. Where someone points at a door. Okay, the door is not the most important thing. It's that you have to walk through it. Nobody else can walk through it for you. You have to walk through that door. Open that gate. Okay. And so forth. So, uh, that's some thought on this particular Bodhi Day religious holiday in Buddhism. And uh, at the very least, early early in the morning of December 8th, you should take a deep, slow breath. And when I do that, I sit with Siddhartha under the bow tree. And I greet the morning star. Okay, well, I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Michael Sayo. And he was part of the LM8 group. He lives in Florida. And so let's hear our Dharma glimpse from Michael Sayo. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Sayo, and the title of my Dharma Glimpse is Happiness, Smiles, and Impermanence. My Dharma Glimpse is inspired by my neighbor, Larry McCann, who recently passed away. I walk three miles every day in my neighborhood, and Larry would stop and chat with me every time he saw me as he was driving down the road. He would always greet me with a smile and engage me in a joyful conversation. Never complaining, he was always a joy to talk to. What a lucky person I was when he crossed paths with me on my walk. I forever will have happy thoughts thinking about him. This leads me to impermanence and how every day should be lived as if it were our last. I'm now going to quote from Tishnad Han's book, The Art of Power. Through concentration on impermanence, we become aware that everything is constantly changing. We may die tomorrow or any time because of an accident. When we develop, when we develop excuse me, concentration on inner being, on the interconnectedness of all things, we see how our wrong actions can make us suffer in return. And permanence is not just negative. It can be a very positive thing. When the Buddha spoke about impermanence, 
he was speaking of insight. He was not being pessimistic, but only reminding us that life is precious, that we have to treasure every moment of life. With the proper insight, we don't allow ourselves to be carried away by despair. My good neighbor Larry had lots of physical suffering, but always had a smile and brought joy to all that came in contact with him. I will miss his happiness and smile. I would like to end this Dharma glimpse with a quote from Emily Dickinson. They may not need me, but they might. I'll let my head be just in sight. A smile as small as mine might be precisely their necessity. So keep smiling, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, as I was listening, I was thinking about a smile. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting theme or subject matter. Um, not the usual social smile, but a uh, spiritual smile, we might call it. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> discussion happens around uh, Mona Lisa's smile. Why is she smiling? Hmm? We might ask the same thing to ourselves about why is the Buddha smiling? Uh, and most depictions of the Buddha, statues and paintings, he, he, he depicted with a slight smile hmm? that we might call it reflects his own spirituality, his own sense of spiritual contentment. You know, uh, you might say it represents sort of the middle way uh, between despair and sorrow and uh, ecstatic joy. Huh? Um, Well, what is that? Don't you want to be able to smile like that? Uh, I think that the whole retreat or workshop or book or something could be, uh, the content could be around a smile. Huh? Spiritual smile, Buddhist smile, Dharma smile, whatever you however you might describe it, huh? divine smile. Okay. Of course, when we use the word divine or holy, holy, it, it comes from a different sort of religious tradition, so we don't um, want to make that kind of connotation, okay. uh, that kind of a, uh, associated aspects. So we have to be careful what kind of a smile we call it. Okay. Uh, Dharma smile or Smile of enlightenment? <laughs> you know, how might we play with it? Not so much for scholarly uh, elaboration on religious uh, smile or the smile in Buddhism, but for our personal, individual growth, spiritual growth. Hmm? What is that smile? 
What is that Dharma smile? What is a spiritual smile? How does one come to have such a smile? Why? Uh, you know, does wisdom, deep wisdom, cause a smile? <laughs> huh? hmm? A contented smile? There's a certain calmness, I guess, about the person. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would, the association that just ran through my mind was uh, back in the early 80s, we started um, in Chicago, we started a Buddhist council of the Midwest. Well, we, we knew that there was a lot of religious groups uh, in the Chicago area, Southeast Asian groups from different, you know, Southeast Asian countries. But we never, uh, we thought we'd, it'd be nice to have some fellowship. And so we sent out notice. Uh, it was in the summer of 83. And we sent out a notice to all the religious groups that we could, that we knew about. And invited them to a gathering, okay, at the Buddhist temple and our Buddhist temple in Chicago. And uh, lo and behold, uh, uh, maybe 20 representatives came. There was a tremendous uh, response. You know, Thai, Cambodian, Buddhist, Laotian, Korean, yeah? Zen groups, uh, and uh, one of them was a Thai. There was a, several Thai temples. And we came be, we came to know each other, of course, and and a lot of the Thai people really re- revered my father. Okay, they could see that he was a spiritual person, and of course he was the founder of the Buddhist temple in uh, Chicago. And uh, one time, I, I, I both two of us we went to visit. I don't remember if it was what occasion it was, but we were visiting the Thai temple and. Um, we 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 were separated a little bit, and I was there. And uh, I remember one of the members that I that I knew. He said, "Oh, Baron Kobos is here!" And he, and he came in, and he was excitedly saying, "You know, where is he? Where is he? Is he is he calm? Is he smiling?" <laughs> I never, you know, that really kind of. Surprised me that kind of question he had. Is he calm? Okay. They wanted to see his being his presence of calmness. They wanted to see his his smiling face. Huh? They knew that that reflected kind of a spirituality. Isn't that interesting? Okay, we can only think about smiles. All kind of association we could have that gives it some kind of a uh, solidity, some depth, some impact, not just the topic of a smile, okay, but something that's uh, that's real, okay, that can motivate us, inspire us, okay? and and so forth. So, well, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep smiling, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.